You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, hello again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and this is another episode of Leadership Powered by Common Sense. We're the show that tries to help you as a leader find uh, simple, more bite-sized ways to be more effective and improve uh, your impact and, and influence in the world. Today, I've got a gentleman who comes to us from Silicon Valley, and his journey through life has been uh, very centered in a lot of the tech initiatives out there. I'm going to let him elaborate a little more. On on what that is, and uh, his name is Eric Nerlick. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks, Doug. Thanks for having me. Tell us a, a little bit about that journey through Silicon Valley, kind of, if you will, real fast. Just kind of recount your stops and starts along the way. Yeah, so I started off uh, actually. Uh, I majored in physics, of all things. I, I when I grew up, I wanted to be a scientist. I was going to be a pure researcher, discovering the world, understanding the deep truths of the universe. Um, and I got to grad school, and I was like, "Wow, this is really hard." And just <laughs> <laughs> like, boy, I got to like drop everything if I want to succeed here. And I decided that physics was not the central quest of my life. So uh, I ended up dropping out of grad school. Um, which was fine because it was 1998 and the middle of the dot-com era and I knew how to program computers. So I got hired as an engineer and that's what I did for about 10 years, bouncing around startups in Silicon Valley, um, you know, programming computers. Um, and that was really educational. I learned a lot about technology, I learned about customers and business. Well, actually I didn't learn about business. And that was kind of one of my, what set up the next stage of my career was I was at a company that went bankrupt despite having a technical team that was excellent. So the engineering team was excellent. We were delivering on our goals and the company went bankrupt. And I'm like, I'm missing something here because if I'm delivering all the work I'm supposed to do, how come the company ran out of money? There's this business thing I got to start understanding. So I ended up going back to school for a degree in technology management, which was like a MBA for tech people. And then joined Google on the business side to really understand business strategy, operations, the money side of the business. I uh, eventually worked my way to becoming the chief of staff of the search ads team at Google for six years, which meant I was leading business strategy and operations for one of the you know biggest <laughs> biggest businesses in the world, at least by revenue. And now I work as an executive coach. So I help leaders in Silicon Valley become more effective by kind of integrating all of my experience. I've been on the engineering side, I've been on the business side, and I've been working with leaders for many years. So helping that bring that all together to help leaders be more effective. And you have released a book, and for those watching the video, it's in the background there. You have a choice. What, what was the genesis of that story? Yeah, I mean, the personal genesis was that I burned out at Google working too hard. Uh, I was trying to earn a promotion. I, the only way I knew how to succeed was to work harder and harder and harder. And that worked great up to a point. <laughs> around the point when you work around 100 hours a week, there's just not much more you can work hard. And there was still more to do. And I couldn't figure out how to do it. And ended up burning myself out. My body just collapsed after doing that for two to three years. And the you have a choice part was, while I was lying sick in bed, while I was exhausted and miserable, I had this moment of like, why do I have to earn the promotion? Why am I working so hard? I had never asked that question before. It was just like, because you have to. Like your manager says you do something, you have to do it. And then I was like, maybe I don't. So <laughs> yeah, what would that I look like to, if I didn't? <laughs> what would that look like? So I went back to work and I was like, went to my manager. I'm like, 
I'm not going to work that hard anymore. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm not going to work that hard. I'm going to work 40 or 50 hours a week, not 100. And they're like, well, if you can't handle the work, I'm going to find somebody that can. I'm like, okay. That means you're not getting that promotion. I'm like, I understand. And that's what happened. They took away half my team. They slashed my performance rating. And the world didn't end. I just had made a choice, a different choice. One, to prioritize my own well-being instead of doing whatever my manager said. And the way I kind of frame it in the book is like, the rule I had in my head was, I have to do everything my manager says no matter what. But that's just a rule in my head. That wasn't the law of gravity. It wasn't the law of the universe. It was just something in my head. And once I change it to, I must do whatever my manager says, unless I accept the consequences of not doing so. Like, oh, that choice suddenly appeared. And it's so powerful because as a leadership coach, I see this all the time where my clients are like, well, I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. And they're so stuck in all these rules that they there's no room for them to maneuver. There's no choices for them to make. And I help them deconstruct these limiting beliefs, help them identify them, take them apart, and realize there are more options than they think, than they, think they are. And after doing this for a few years, I realized I was like saying the same stories, offering the same perspective, kind of leading people through the same process. So I wanted to share it with a wider audience. And that's where the book comes from. Well, let me ask you just your own opinion in, in a broad sense, and and we can talk about the impact of COVID. And I I have talked about this before on the show that one of the prevailing themes that seems to be emerging from the COVID experience is that individual workers have changed their mind. They've all embraced that idea of I've got a choice. And if they learned anything from COVID, they realized the work-life harmony they were trying to achieve would not allow them to work 100 hours a week, to use your number. Um, and, and therefore, they're much bolder about saying, I'm not going to do that. And for the companies that did initially react and say, all right, guess what? Then you won't work here anymore. And they've all said, fine, I'm out. Uh, now companies are reeling and they're kind, kind of the pendulum is swinging back to leadership teams going, hmm, how do we deal with this? You know, how do we need to look at our work so that we attract the right talent and we don't create that artificial expectation that the only way you're going to be successful here is to work 100 hours a week? What do you see going on in Silicon Valley in, in response to all of those kind of pressures? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess maybe I feel Silicon Valley is a couple of years ahead of everybody else because that was Silicon Valley in 2021, 2022. Um, what do, can we do to attract people? There's so much competition. We have to, we're competing with everybody worldwide because everybody's working remotely. Now, over the last year, there's been huge layoffs in Google and Amazon and Microsoft, all these Salesforce, all these places have done huge layoffs and put a lot of people on the street. And so now they can say like, you're coming back to the office or we're going to find somebody else that will, because there's 100,000 people on the street looking for jobs, and they're happy to take your job. So I feel like the pendulum has actually swung back to the companies in terms of power, um, so they could, to, in part, <laughs> to drive back to back to office initiatives. So it's been really interesting to watch because it, 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 you know, two years ago, absolutely, it's like okay, writers could, uh, workers could write their own ticket. Say this is what I need, and companies would give it to them. Now it's like get in the office, <laughs> and oh, no, if you don't want okay. to, we'll find somebody that will. Interesting. 
Well, uh, I hadn't yet heard that dynamic of it, and and that's why I asked the question. I I, I think that is interesting, and you know what what comes to my mind is uh, I wrote a master's thesis on business cycles, and the the study I did on that said that. Um, you know, there, there there are definitely cyclical waves in all things business. It's been proven for not just years, but decades and even centuries. There, are, you can look at economic elements, and and things do go in cycles. There is a ripple effect. It's a it's a vibration, like a sound wave that just happens in business, and you you can accelerate it or you can delay it, but you're never going to avoid it. And uh, um, it is interesting. So to the point that seeing the pendulum swing back the other way in favor of the employer setting the standard uh, that that's a very interesting dynamic. Well, what have you been able to do in your work with leaders, helping them understand this? concept of they too have choices they can make yeah um i mean there's a bunch of things but i mean it starts by understanding where they want to go so like people come to me like okay what are you going to work on i'm like i don't know where do you want to go what is success for you for some it's like i want to get promoted i want to get this title i want to be a ceo or cfo someday for others it's like I want to enjoy my life. Like I want to be able to like go home to my family or something like that. Those are very different aims and require very different approaches. So I think that's something you've talked about with previous guests. Like it's get, first of all, it's important to understand like, where do you want to go before you start dive in and start doing things? Um, and then I ask them like, okay, what's stopping you from being where you want to go? And they start listing all the external reasons, like, oh, my manager, my family, my partner wants this, this person wants that, that person wants that. And I'm like, okay, but what's stopping what's stopping you from just ignoring that and just doing it anyway? They're like, oh, I can't. I have to do this. I must do this. And that starts to reveal these, what I call limiting beliefs, these rules lying underneath the surface. And I start pushing a little bit, like, okay, but what if <laughs> you could do something different there? Let's try an experiment. You know, I was trained as a scientist. Let's try an experiment. What if in this one situation you did something different? What if you said no to your manager? Or what if you said later to some important thing that somebody's asking you to do? And we start pushing the boundaries a little bit. And oftentimes they run this experiment like, oh, that didn't work the way I expected. Huh, what else am I missing? We start pushing the boundaries a little more and more, and then they have space to move again. They're not stuck. They mm -hmm. can make choices. Um, you know, so you, you raise a good point there. And I've had this come up with many of my executive clients as well. And that is that, you know, they're feeling the pressure to perform. So any kind of request that comes at them and their department, they're saying, yes, you know, I, yes, okay. And, and then they get this stacking of priorities that complicates things. And when you end up doing the math on it, it's it's not doable at all. You know, you, you can't have everything by Friday, you know, and so I've, to your point, I've, I've told them, well, why don't you push on something, even if it's a senior executive above you that says, I need X, you can say, yes, I can do that, but not right now. Mm -hmm. You want it Monday, I can get it to you by Wednesday. How's that work for you? Yeah. And, and they, at first, I, and this is almost 
total, you know, reaction. People are saying, oh, I can't tell my boss that. I go, well, why don't you try? Why don't you just see? And and they'll come back to me and they'll go, you know, it worked. They yeah. uh, they said, yeah, that's fine. That'll be great. And and my logic is, and my own experience is, even as an executive myself, I'll I would assign somebody something, and I would just throw a date out there. It wasn't necessarily a hard stop, but if it ever was a hard stop, I added that to the communication. I I made it clear, hey, you know, I know you're busy, but this is a real urgent need that I've got, and I was careful not to have those, you know, all consecutive. That. And so if I said Monday and they came back and said, how about Wednesday? I'd think about it and go, okay, yeah, Wednesday will be fine. I can, you know, that fits for me. And well, Doug, you are very rare as a leader. There, there are a lot of managers, certainly I'll say, let's say a lot of managers that uh, do not have that perspective and can't reprioritize like that. A lot of them are like, no, you have to get everything done by this day, no matter what. And they feel it. They don't feel like they have a choice either. So they don't feel they can push back. Um, I had one memorable experience for a manager of mine. I was like, you have to get this review done by Friday. The VP is waiting for it. It's like, it's the most important thing on his plate. You must do whatever it takes. I pulled an all nighter. I was like, okay, I'll do whatever it takes. I'm going to get it done. We don't have any of the data, but I will manually put it all together. And the review that morning, that Friday morning, the VP canceled the review. I was like, oh, this isn't that important. I'm like, okay, manager, you just lost all credibility with me <laughs> because they were creating the urgency that wasn't real. Because yeah. they weren't able to do what you do, which is be able to say, like, no, that's can wait. That's not actually the most important thing. Well, and and the other thing maybe related to this to help relieve some of the pressure is that um, the other thing I've posed to people is the idea when you get this big assignment from the big senior executive, rather than going immediately to work and, and cranking out this giant voluminous report or or deck or whatever it may be frame up an outline to say all right here's my thinking on how i'm going to solve this and how i'm going to respond and then go back to them and say hey here's my thinking is i just want to get some quick alignment am i on the right track am i on the right path will this satisfy and i can't tell you how many times people have come back and said you know when i did that the boss said Oh no no no! This isn't it at all. I'm I, sorry. I I totally misrepresented what I need. What what I need is you came up with A, B, and C. I'm going to give you X, Y, and Z. You know, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden it's a whole different discussion. But if you had gone out as a diligent soldier and and done all that work on your best understanding of the challenge, and sent it back, the boss would be saying, "Oh, this isn't what I needed at all." And, and both sides would be frustrated. You'd be frustrated because you did all the work and you didn't get kudos, didn't like, good job. And the leader yeah. would be frustrated, like, you wasted all this time on the wrong thing. What were you doing? Right. So, and, yeah. and, and, and again, in most cases, when I've challenged people to go do that outline and, and get alignment with the boss, the first reaction is always, the boss doesn't want to have another meeting on this. He told me what he wanted. I said, mm -hmm. well, you're you're on track responding to what he wanted. All you're asking is a little alignment and certainty that you're on the right track. Yeah. And and sure enough, probably three out of five times that's happened, 
the response is, no, that's not quite it. I, I, I didn't explain myself here. Here's what, here's what I need you to do. Yeah. I, I do this. With, clarity. I, yeah. No, finding that clarity and communicating and agreeing on expectations is so critical as both the leader and the person, you know, that they both are part of this com conversation. And I guess what I'll, I'll add to what you said is like, the funny thing is sometimes you'll deliver this like draft. You're like, Oh, here's that general pressure. I'm going to like, great. That's everything I need. You're like, wait, what? So I've had that happen with my clients too. They're like, okay, I can't give you the whole thing until for like two weeks, but here's what I have right now. And they're like, Oh, this is great. This is all I need. Oh, okay. <laughs> they just say themselves two weeks at work because they asked, here's what I can get you right now. Is this, what will that serve? And they're like, oh yeah, that's good. That's everything I need. Oh, I thought I had to do this whole big project. And instead I already had what they needed. And that's something. So I'm always asking people to check in, like, you know, here's the, here's what I have and here's where I can go. Is that what you're looking for? Well, you know, along that line, something else that comes to mind is I have frequently run into company cultures where they are striving for the so-called 100% solution. So mm. they see an opportunity in the market for maybe a new product or a new initiative, and they go through this exhaustive study to determine the validity of it. But the classic Peralto principle applies, you know, 80-20, they, they get up to 80% of their research is pretty easy to resolve. And if that research is showing them a green light, you know, go do the deal. They still don't do the deal because they want to squeeze the remaining 20% out of their intel. Well, that 20% mm -hmm. can take five times longer to resolve and, and determine, and it's still showing you a green light. So now you go to the market and the opportunity's gone. It's, yeah. it's sailed away and, and you lost the window spending all this time churning and burning. So making the pivot, and, and I'll tie this back to your point about limiting beliefs, you know, it's a limiting belief to say, I've got to have 80, I mean, 100% of my data in front of me to be able to make this decision. No, you don't. You know, look at your 70% and your 80% content and see what the answer is telling you at that point. Yeah, and if it's no, and it's, if it's a green light, you probably should go for it. And if you're not comfortable with that risk, I, I tell you what, my friend, you're in the wrong business. Yeah, I, I mean, so a very sol similar problem happens in Silicon Valley, where we have all these technologists who want to build cool technology. So I've been I've mentored a bunch of entrepreneurs that are like, let me show you my cool technology. It can do this and this and this and this. I'm like, what problem are you solving? They're like. Well, no, no, let me show you the technology. I'm like, I don't care about the technology. Who's going to pay you to solve their problems with the technology? They're like, well, let me tell you about the technology. I'm like, no, <laughs> you don't have a business if you're not solving a problem that is painful enough to somebody that they will pay you to solve it. So what's the problem you're solving? And it's so funny because they just keep going back to technology. I've, over and over again, there's this piece of advice I heard probably from the lean startup folks, like go talk to 50 customers about their problems before you write a single line of code. If there's one mistake that Silicon Valley people make over and over again, so they'll like go build the whole thing, all the features they think they need, everything they want to build, spend six months building it. And then they take it to the customer and they're like, the customer's like, I, I don't need this. This isn't helpful. And the, the coders are, the engineers are frustrated. They're like, I put all this work in. Customers are frustrated. Like I didn't get what I wanted again. 
early expectations of communication. There was no communication early on, no agreement of expectations, and everybody's left frustrated. So early communication. <laughs> Along that line, I'm reminded of a, there was an episode of Shark Tank, this young man, he was college age, and he, he presented this technology to the sharks, and it was an app for your phone that will show you where all the restaurants are in the airport. <laughs> and the sharks went, what? And and he was so proud of this technology. Oh, you know, you're traveling and, and you you get to an airport that you've never been to before. You know, we're, we're going to show you where all the restaurants are. And they're going, that's not a problem that needs to be fixed. There's a map on the wall. Like There's I can walk over and wall. look. <laughs> and and, and uh, in most cases, all you got to do is find the food court and you just look around and you'll see, you know, 14 brands that are there and, and you, well, there it is. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, so they, uh, all of, all the sharks passed on making any investment at all in this Poor kid turned around and he went out in the hallway on the exit and his mom was waiting for him. So this tells you part of the story. And he mm -hmm. just literally broke down crying that he had spent two years of his college career developing this app and everybody oh. thought it was stupid. And, and to your point, it's like, well, you never talk to anybody about the necessity of it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it, like hearing this story, I'm already thinking like, who would that be useful for? Like, okay, maybe if I have a food allergy or I'm a vegan and like, okay, show me the places where I can get something that would meet my needs. Like that's not going to be answered by the map. That's not going to be answered by walking around. Then you're like solving a real problem for people. Where can I eat in this airport when I'm not able to eat stuff that most people eat? Like, but that, you know, just like, oh, the map is the, the like, you probably did a lot of work to get all the data and put it all into an app. And it's like, no, that's not the point. What do you solve yeah. it? Yeah. And, and those things are constantly being turned over. Contracts get renewed. Spaces get blown out, remodeled and changed. And it's it's just, yeah, uh, it felt really sorry for him. He was obviously passionate about his initiative, but it was just a not a great idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, this gets to a larger point I, I hit for myself and like from a lot of my clients. It's like working hard is not what you get paid for. Like, they're like, oh, I'm working so hard. I should get promoted. I was like, no, nobody cares. I'm sorry. At a certain point, effort is not the point. The effort, the point is, are you solving problems? Are you creating impact? Are you delivering results? Creating if you can deliver the same yeah. results with 20 hours of work as you can with 100 hours of work, your boss doesn't care how, how much work you put in. They don't care, did you deliver the results? And that's something that people have a hard time focusing on because they're very, unfortunately, self-centered. They're like, okay, Look, look at how much work I did. Look at me. Like, okay, but in the end, what are you delivering to somebody else? What is the value you're delivering to the company, to your manager, to your leader? That's what they're going to pay you for. That's what you're going to get promoted for. And it's a really hard, like, this is, again, a limiting belief I've had. I'm like, oh, they should pay me. I should get promoted because I worked so hard. They don't care. Are you delivering the results? Well, the the defect in that thinking is, you know, when I, I know when I was a, a a manager, leader uh, looked at a team and I, I knew somebody was working 60 or 80 hours when everybody else was getting it done in 40. The immediate question is, what are you doing wrong? Why, why can't you produce in the same 40-hour window that everybody else is? And just because you're putting in those extra hours doesn't necessarily mean you're 
you're doing it well or 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 as efficient as somebody else and it's mm-hmm. obviously different if you're a salaried employee versus hourly on, on the hourly side i mean it's a no brainer it's like no if if you're not doing double the volume for the you know the time you're putting in then you're just doing something wrong and i'm not going to pay you for that yeah, the incentives are all messed up when you're an hourly worker because it's like, well, if I stretch it out longer, I get paid more. It's like, but from the man, from the you know the person paying you, it's like, no, that's a bad deal for me. Right. <laughs> right. Let's think about the value. That's yeah, the value delivers so much more important. But again, I've, I think I've hit that point in the ground now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you what, Eric, uh, this has been great, and I think we're about up on time for this episode. Um, I, I am actually. I'll just say this publicly. I'm I'm kind of shrinking the the timelines on my episodes because you know feedback tells me. People only have limited attention spans, and they got to move on. They're they're busy, and they want to go back to their hundred hour challenge. And uh, <laughs> I'm being facetious, obviously. But yeah. anyway, thank you for sitting in and uh, tell people the best way they can get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more from you. Sure thing. My uh, site is called TooManyTrees.com. Uh, that's where you can find out about my coaching practice. I have a link to the book there. Uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn, but my name is hard to spell. So just go to TooManyTrees.com and all the links are there. I love it. I love it. And with that, folks, as always, we're going to have that contact info in the show notes. So just uh, hop down there and click on the links and, and you'll get to Eric and uh, get information from him. Uh, I'm curious about the book. I'm going to go check it out and then read it myself. I, I think it's a great message that you do have a choice and uh tying the notion of limiting beliefs to what is driving your sense of choice that you need to make uh, you kind of go back to the old uh, logic uh, uh, i've heard it said before the problem is not the problem usually when whatever you think your current problem may be you dig a little deeper you're going to realize there's something totally different that's behind it and driving it so um Keep that in mind as you go. But one last time, Eric, thanks for sitting in. Thanks, Doug. Yeah, actually, one of the things I say in the book a lot is, how are you the problem? Okay, there's the problem out there, and there's a problem in here. We're going to talk about what's in here. I love it. Thanks a lot, for Doug. I really appreciated the conversation, and thanks for having me on the show. All right. And with that, folks, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and go out there, make it a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.